Good morning. How are you this morning? You look, uh, some of you look like you've rested well. Some of you look like you need a haircut, especially some of you guys. You look a little shaggy. I've uh, seen some of you uh, here and there, uh, a couple people coming up, you know, dropping their tithe off at the church or something. And um, I was telling my wife that it's hilarious to see what happens when men can't get a haircut. (laughs) So, So some of the men in our church look like they're homeless. They're not. They just can't get a haircut, especially if you really needed a haircut right before all this started, then um, you got a a mullet and uh, just wear it with pride. Wear it with pride. Amen. Well, we're back in the book of James this morning, and I'm excited about what God has in store for us. You can see the chats on, so you can participate with us as we go through this. Um, The uh, listening guide is there for you to download. The blanks will come up on the screen, and what I'd like to do is pray, and then we'll jump in, and we'll get started. Okay, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for our faith family. Thank you for speaking into our lives and for loving us and caring enough about us to tell us the truth. And Lord, we know this morning that you have a word for us, and God, I pray that you would be our teacher, that we would uh, pull a chair up. Uh, in your classroom, hear directly from you, and Lord, that you would mold and shape us today into what you desire for us to be. Lord, we pray for our faith family. We pray, Lord, that in these uh, unparalleled times that we would be flourishing in our relationship with you, that, Lord, the time that we're able to spend in the Word would be so wonderful and enriching and redeeming, Lord, We pray that you would uh, build up our families, strengthen our faith, Lord. We pray for Harbor City this morning. And Lord, we pray your blessing on Pastor Rod and on our brothers and sisters that are uh, just growing, Lord, into this uh, community, Father God. We pray that you would strengthen them during this time. God, we thank you for all the good things that you are teaching us through what we're experiencing. And we thank you for how your word is perfectly aligned with our current present situation. So, Lord, this morning, we pray for ears to hear and hearts to receive as we turn our attention to you for your glory in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. So if you got a listening guide, the first thing I want you to see is that an opportunity from God is always met with opposition from Satan. And so a lot of times when. There's an opportunity in our lives. If we're not looking with spiritual eyes, we can be confused and we can think that there's a a trial or a stumbling block or we can see things that are meant to be positive in God's economy as negative. And so that's sort of the first reality we need to lay out this morning as we start moving into this section of James chapter 1. You know, God's going to be very direct with us and honest with us as he is throughout the book of James. Uh, Remember, this is uh, a book that the Holy Spirit has written through the vessel of the younger brother of Jesus, who is the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. And he is writing to 
people that he loves that have been dispersed, much like the situation that we're in right now. And so as we look to verse 12, we'll see how God's going to sort of point us towards uh, maybe asking some very direct questions of him. I think uh, as I have looked towards this passage, I think that this morning we're going to we're going to ask two very direct questions of God. And they're questions that all of us ask. Um, maybe sometimes we don't want to admit the fact that we ask them, but we do ask them. And the Bible's not going to shy away from the answer as it never does. It doesn't shy away from the hard things in life. And I also want you to, to realize that the strategy of the enemy is a perversion of the strategy of our Father. In other words, uh, I don't know if you have ever thought about this before, but uh, what Satan desires to do is to burn his lies into our mind and then send us out into the world as ambassadors of his falsehoods. And he learned that from God's strategy of redeeming us and filling us with his spirit and then sending us out just as he sent Jesus to be his ambassadors. And so all of Satan's strategies are just a copycat perversion of what God's strategy is. So that's just some some things to be thinking about as we look together at God's word. Let's look at James chapter 1 beginning in verse 12. Here's what the scripture says. Blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved or when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Okay. What question does that prompt us to want to ask of God? This issue of temptation and all that James has already taught us about that we should count it all joy when we go through various trials, which is completely unnatural, completely unnatural. And we get to this passage about temptation and I think the question, number one, is this. Is it really worth it to obey? Is it worth it? And don't just give the Sunday school answer. I mean, you know, don't, don't just give the I'm in church answer of, well, yes, it's, obe- it's, it's worth it to obey. But think about how difficult oftentimes it is to obey and what a struggle it is and how trials and temptations are constantly barraging our heart and our lives 
trying to create barriers to prevent us from doing so. You see, Satan hates Jesus. He hates him. And if you're with Jesus, then he hates you. And so therefore, his strategy is to cause you to disobey. And he has a very distinct strategy to do so, which is what this text is going to talk about here in a little bit. But once you give your life to Jesus, it's not going to get easier. Now, it will get better, but it's not going to get easier. And the reason it's not going to get easier is because life in a fallen world is hard. It's hard because of sin. It's hard because of the the operation and the strategy of evil and Satan that's going on around us all the time, trying to tear us down and, and destroy us. And then once you align yourself with God, you also align yourself against the God of this world. So therefore, life in this world is not going to, it's, it's in no way going to get easier. Now, it will get better because in the difficulty, you know that God is with you and all the promises of God are true. But that's not going to make it easier. Listen, the, the reality is no matter how people try to lie or deceive or try to give you some prosperity gospel answer, the reality is, is that life with Jesus is war. It's war. It's war. Which is the only way you could understand any of the New Testament. Because the New Testament is constantly telling us that we don't war against flesh and blood. Well, if, if we're saved, there's all sorts of people out there spreading a gospel that would lead you to believe that once you're saved, you don't war anymore. Well, that's simply not true. It's a war. It's always a war. It's always going to be a war. Now, it gets better because we have God with us and in us. But it doesn't get easy. Now, let's, let's think about how we view things. Let me, let me give you an example of what we're talking about, okay? Here's the human view. The human view of, of difficulty, of hardship, of it not being easier would be Psalm 73. Psalm 73 in verse 12, the psalmist is talking about all the problems that he sees because the wicked are prospering around him. And he says, behold, these are the wicked and they're always at ease. They increase in riches. And so his response is, all that I've done is, is vanity. It's in vain that I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every day morning. Now, that's the human view. The human view is to look at your situation, compare it to the people around you, which, by the way, James is going to get to in a couple sections, but compare it to the people around you, realize that, well, why is it so hard for me? Shouldn't God, who's all-powerful and has, has all the capability and, and, and uh, know-how to make my life easier, why isn't He doing that? And we start to equate God in some human way where we think that what God should do is make my life easier. And when it's not easier, and especially when we see other people who don't follow God, who seem to be living in ease, seem to not be struggling, then our viewpoint becomes, you know, well, why am I doing this? Is it worth it to obey? Why am I obeying if it's just going to be hardship over and over and over? 
That's the human view. Then there's God's view. The God view of life would be verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed. Do you know what it means when the Bible says blessed? It means to be happy. It means to be joyful. It means uh, it's such a word of encouragement. And the, the God view of life is, is that you can count it all joy when you endure temptation. So is it worth it to obey? Is it? Well, here's how James would answer that. Yes, and here's why. Because there is such a thing as eternity. You see, he says, when you endure temptation for when he has been approved or when he has uh, passed the test, then he will receive the crown of life. You see, if, if this is all there is, if this life is, is all there is, we might as well put ourselves in the center of our universe, live for ourselves, fill our life with uh, pandering to our own desires. And there's no point in paying attention to God. There's no point in worrying about what God would say or have us to do. But James says, no, listen, when you see life the way God wants us to see life, then what we see is, is that when we're going through hardship, we need to be reminded that there is eternity. And the crown of life is the gift of eternal life it's the crown of life beyond this life if you will it's the promise of eternal happiness or blessedness you see to those who endure there will be joy joy unexpressible joy unbelievable and joy unending for all of eternity and that's the motivation that we have to press on through hardship you see, the crown of life is a reminder that there's coming a time for the children of God when we will exist in an eternal state of God pouring out every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places upon us continually forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. You see, if there's an eternity, then the investment that we make in this life of obedience is 100% worth it. It's totally worth it. And so remember that one of the great weapons that we have to motivate our heart when we find ourselves struggling under a trial or a hardship is the reality of eternity. Now, let's talk about this issue of temptation because he says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. Now, temptation is not sin. And that's an important distinction to make because Jesus was tempted, but Jesus never sinned. And listen, if anyone, if, if there's anyone who would know if Jesus ever sinned, it would be James because he grew up in the same family, in the same household as Jesus. So James would be the one who would know more than anybody if Jesus ever sinned. And he approaches Jesus as his Lord and Savior, the sinless gift of God on behalf of God 
to pay the penalty of man and our sin so that we could be, we could receive the crown of life. So the fact that we're being tempted does not mean sin because Jesus was tempted. You can read, uh, make a notation on your paper there, Luke chapter 4, where Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. And you can see where clearly temptation is not sin. Sin is how we respond to temptation. So it's important for us to know that when we're being tempted, it doesn't mean that we're ungodly or that we're out of God's will or that we're doing something wrong. Temptation is not a sign of weakness. So many times when we're tempted, people think that, well, I'm, I'm being tempted and, and they think it's because they're weak. No, Jesus was tempted. We're all tempted. Temptation is not a sign of weakness. It's a, it's a sign of humanity. So in verse 13, look at what the scripture says. Let no one say when he is tempted, not if they're tempted, but when they're tempted. Well, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. This prompts us to ask a second question of God. God, are you toying with me? And, and here's what I mean by that. Could it be that the same God that speaks so strongly against sin is putting me in situations and circumstances where I find myself tempted to sin? You're playing with me. And, and you know that on Wednesday nights we're going through the book of Job. And so this is perfect conversation for us to have and a perfect thought for us to be thinking about. I mean, after all, if God is sovereign, wouldn't it just be easier for God if he would just eliminate all temptation? He's got the power and the authority. Why doesn't when we become one of his children, and especially when we're walking in his will, when we're, when we're growing in our faithfulness, why wouldn't God just put a hedge of protection like we always pray about? Why doesn't God just put a bubble around us and make this impenetrable force field around us so that temptation can't come in? I mean, wouldn't that just make perfect sense? I mean, is this God, this God of the Bible, as good as he says that he is? Can he be trusted? Maybe he's just toying with us. Do, do you ever feel as a believer like you're walking into a trap? Do you ever, do you ever feel when you find yourself in a, in a trial or a temptation? Do you ever feel s- sort of let down by God? Do you ever feel like, you know, sort of, God, wait a minute. You know, is this a game to you? Because it's not a game to me. Listen, God will will try us. That's what James has been teaching us. God will put us in a situation of hardship and trial to grow us, to strengthen us, to develop us. That's what we've seen over the last three weeks in, in James. You see, God knows that you and I will never be who we need to be, who God created us to be, until we come to the end of ourselves. Remember, the last time we were in James, we were talking about praying and asking God for wisdom. 
And one of the things we learned about that is that no one asks for wisdom unless they come to the end of themselves. You see, as long as I can figure out a way out, I don't ask for wisdom because I don't need it. So what God does is to make us wiser, to teach us how to be wise, is He puts us in a position so that we have to lean upon Him and ask for wisdom and receive wisdom, and then we become wiser because He loves us. This is what we've continually seen week in and week out in James. You see, our problem is not that we lack self-confidence. That, that's, that's not our problem. Our problem is that we lean far too often on our self-confidence. What God wants to do is wean us off of self-confidence. He wants to wean us towards God-confidence. It's in our weakness that His strength is made perfect. We cannot be strengthened in Him unless we're weakened in ourselves. And what weakens us in ourselves is hardship and trial. So listen, God is not toying with us. God is sanctifying us. That's what God is doing. Look, look at what the Scripture says in the book of Hebrews chapter 2. I love this passage of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 2, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, talking about Jesus, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or payment for the sins of, his, of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, don't you see that Jesus has walked the same path that we're walking. God is not toying with us. He wasn't toying with His Son. He loves His Son more than anything. He loves us. And this process that we walk through is a process of God making us stronger, making us wiser, making us resilient, if you will. So the question, obviously, that comes from all of this, like, is it, is it, is it worth it? Is God toying with us? And, and once we realize that eternity makes it worth it, that God's not toying with us, but He's perfecting us and making us stronger, then the question that starts to rise up in us is, well, we need to understand. We need to understand this process. We need to understand what's going on here. How does this temptation process work? What's going on? And that's when we come to verse 13, where the Bible says that, but each one is tempted, again, not each one might be tempted, could be tempted. No, everyone is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Verse 15, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. All right, let's talk about this for a few minutes. So death is the DNA of sin. Wherever there is sin, there's going to be death. The book of Romans says the wages of sin is death. So in the DNA of sin is death. Those two are inseparable. Wherever there's sin, there's death. Now, what does that have to do with God and us understanding temptation? Well, first of all, it 
it tells us a little bit about what's going on. God, we know, hates sin. We know that. But why? God doesn't hate sin because when you sin, you break His rules. He doesn't hate sin because you broke my rule, God. God's not saying that. God hates sin because He loves you. And so He hates what sin does to you. He hates what sin does to what He loves. So how does this work? Well, this whole process of sin and how temptation leads us to sin. Well, what undergirds the whole process is deception. Deception is what fuels this journey towards sin. Temptation doesn't cause sin. Deception causes sin. And so, you know, if you want to get off the cycle of death, then you need to get on the cycle of truth because truth is the antidote for deception. It's the antidote for deception. You see, where do we recognize the difference between truth and lies? Where do we discern what, where, you know, if, if I ask you, is, if I make a statement and I ask you, is that true or false? Well, how do you come to that conclusion? You think about it. And you come to that conclusion in your mind. And listen, when you get to the fork in the road where is this true or is this false? It is at that fork where the determination is made as to whether or not this is going to lead to sin and death or this is going to lead to righteousness and life is right there. It's right here in your mind. Let's see, 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says this in chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every, what's the word? Thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Bringing every thought. So, the weapons of our warfare. Now, Paul is assuming that we're on the battlefield. And he's talking to us about how to fight. And he's telling us that deception is what's coming against us and that we need to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That means we need to correctly, wisely discern the difference between truth and lie. The war of temptation is fought on the battlefield of our mind. That's what James wants us to know. That's what the Apostle Paul wants us to know. Because that's what God wants us to know. When you face temptation in your life, what you have to do is you have to seek the truth. You have to seek the truth. The truth about temptation the truth about what you're being tempted in. I mean, the truth in every area. 
You've got to find truth to dispel deception because deception is what's going to lead you to trouble. And that is going to happen right here in our mind. And victory is going to come when we take control of our thoughts, when we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You see, we tend to think that when we face temptation, it's we focus on well, what happened, what did we do? When we talk to each other about, oh, you know, this happened, and that, then we say things like, well, why did you do that? And, and we start talking about, well, you know, you did this, and you did this, and you did this. But listen, our actions, those are just a result of what happened in our mind. It happened in our mind before we ever acted upon it. And we've got to deal with it in our minds so that we don't act upon temptation. This is what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to just think for a moment in the privacy of your own mind. You may be sitting in your living room right now with other people around you, or maybe you're by yourself, but I want you to think about I want you to think about the last time you fell into temptation. In other words, you were tempted and you acted upon it. Now, I wasn't there. I don't know what it was that tempted you. I don't know how you were tempted. I don't know what you did. I don't know what the consequences of that were. I don't know anything about that. But here's what I know. Whatever it was that was tempting you, I know how it happened. Because it happened the same way for you that it happens for me and everybody else. And this is what it was. You were tempted by something. Now, before you acted upon it, when the temptation came into your heart, you thought about it in a positive way. You thought about it in a positive way. In other words, you were thinking about what it was that was tempting you in a way that made doing it not a disaster. You thought about it in a way that made doing it not terrible. That made the consequences seem small, if any. Or maybe you thought about it in a way of resulting in something positive. But you definitely deceived yourself in your mind. You were deceived in your mind. You were, you were telling yourself this some sort of a story. In other words, when temptation comes into our life, a narrative begins. There's a, a narrative that begin, this story begins to play out in your mind. And so temptation comes and the story begins. You start to imagine yourself engaging in that temptation. And you are the one who's writing the narrative about how this plays out. If I do this, this will happen, and then this will happen, and this. And so the, the story is being written, but here's the problem. Who's the author? The last time you fell into temptation, you were the author of the story. And what the Bible is telling us to do is to... Hold, take every thought captive, and let God author the story. Let God tell us, if I do this, what is going to happen? If I do this, what are the consequences of this? If I, what is the truth about this? Because, let's face it, 
In the confines of our own minds, we're not the most trustworthy people, are we? We can convince ourselves of all sorts of things. And we say things to ourselves like, well, you know, you've, you've been so good. I mean, you, you deserve it. Listen, it, this, this happens in just small ways. You know, just little ways. I mean, here's a dumb example, but it's the same process. The other night, uh, Lisa and Cameron decided they were going to make a cheesecake. And so they like to cook together. So they're, you know, after dinner, me and Kaylee were doing something. They're in the kitchen making this cheesecake. Now, I'm excited about it because eventually there's going to be a cheesecake. So, you know, I'm sort of waiting for this cheesecake to materialize. Well, finally, it materializes. And so we all sit down at the table and we all have this piece of cheesecake. And it was fantastic and wonderful. And But I'm going to be honest with you. I really wanted more than one piece. But I didn't. And we put it back in the fridge and that was the end of that well the next morning see you know where this is going i'm the first one up now is cheesecake an acceptable breakfast food well i can tell you this in my mind when no one else is around and here's the thing i lit this is i'm just going to be transparent with you you want me to tell you what i thought this is what i thought I looked at the counter. I saw the box of my kid's cereal sitting on the counter, and I thought, I bet this cheesecake has all seven essential vitamins and minerals that that, you know, Frosted Flakes has. So I ate the cheesecake. And here's the thing. Why did I eat the cheesecake? Because I was writing the narrative. And here's the thing. I'm, You know, I've been doing pretty good lately. I mean, I... You know, shed a few pounds, feeling pretty good. I deserve to splurge a little bit. And there's so many ways I can justify it. This way, my kids won't eat it. I'll eat it. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take this for them. I'll martyr myself on this cheesecake for their behalf. You see, it's, it's the realization that we've been hardwired to pursue what we see as good. That, that's just, that's, that's how we're hardwired. And so if we see something as good, if we see something as, as edifying or satisfying, we're going to go for it. But we've also been hardwired to run away from anything we see as dangerous or bad. You see, listen, no one had to teach you to run away from a snake. No one had to teach you that. No one had to teach you to, to run away. I mean, we're hardwired for that. And once we, once we learn that something's bad, once we learn that something's painful, we, but if we start rewriting the narrative in our mind, if we start if we get the pen and the paper out and we start writing the story, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be trouble. Now, the problem, so here's what I'm saying. When we face temptation, is the problem on the outside? No. The problem's on the inside. 
And this is what James is showing us. See, God wants, is not, he's not trying to point out an external tempter. He's exposing an internal traitor. You see, after I ate the cheesecake for breakfast, and believe me, when I was eating it, man, it was fantastic. But then when I was done, I regretted eating it. I didn't feel good. I, you know, then I started thinking about all the things that I should have thought about before. Like Lisa's going to wake up, realize all the cheesecake's gone and go, what happened to the cheesecake? And well, what am I going to say? You see, it's an internal traitor. It's not, it's not, the, it's not the cheesecake's problem. The cheesecake didn't make me do it. I did it. I did it. Another way that we fall to this is we, we sort of, we, we justify things through self-condemnation. Here, here's, a, here's a perfect way to understand how we deceive, self-condemn, and then fall to temptation. The voice in our head when we're tempted lies to us and says, well, temptation is the same as sin. You're being tempted because you're in sin. And why is that so powerful? Because if you believe when you're tempted that it's sin, then you can just condemn yourself into going, well, I've already sinned, so I might as well do it. You see, when I, I can say, because I want to eat the cheesecake, I've already sinned, so I might as well eat it. But that's a lie. Temptation is not, it's, it's not sin. And so we don't self-condemn ourselves into doing that. Being tempted is not equal to being defeated. That's what Satan's telling you. He's telling every person that battles any sort of addiction, he's telling you that temptation equals defeated. And once you believe that, he's got you. And you can, you can read all the, I mean, you, you, can, you, can, you can have the right attitude and you can, you can be, you know, reading scripture and walking with God and then temptation comes in. But if you believe that one deception that temptation equals defeat, you're going to perish. That's not true. It's not true. Being tempted is an opportunity. That's how we need to see it. Whenever you're tempted, Smile and say, here's an opportunity. This is an opportunity for me. It's an opportunity for me to sin or it's an opportunity for me to find victory in God. And so what I do when, when temptation comes, we need to say, what's true about this? What's the truth? What's the truth? What does God say about this? It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. And don't believe that you've already failed. Now look at verse 16. Do not be deceived. Again, there's the reality. My beloved brothers and sisters, Pastor James says. Verse 17. Every good, every good gift 
and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Such a good passage. Such an encouragement. Here's what it makes me think. Oftentimes the bad things that we go through are only bad because we call them bad. You see, we're going through these bad things. And why are they bad? Because we've determined that they're bad. We've, we're the ones that have made the determination that they're bad. Remember two weeks ago how we talked about how uh, don't look at God through your circumstances, but look at your th- circumstances through God, that, that that's so important. We talked about how, you know, in our trials, God's going to take us where we have not intended to go in order to produce in us what we could not achieve on our own. You see, God, these are opportunities. God's bringing these into our life. Don't don't just say this is bad. It's an opportunity. Temptation and trial may turn out to be what you're most thankful for as you look in the rearview mirror of your life. I tell you, it's so obvious to me that I would never be the man that I am today had it not be for the Trials and struggles and temptations I went through as a young man. My childhood and all the things that when I was enduring them, I wished more than anything they would go away. I wished more than anything that I would have it easy and that they wouldn't be the way that they were. But now it is so obvious to me that God used all of that to make me who I am today. And you know what? He's done the same thing in your life. And he's doing that in your life right now. So if you're asking the questions like, is it worth it to obey? Or is God just toying with me? James is addressing that very situation. And this isn't a situation. Listen, this isn't something you might face at some point. This is an ongoing way of life because life in Jesus is war. It's warfare. Don't you want victory? Of course you do. How don't you wonder why do I keep falling to temptation? It's because you're writing the narrative. It's because of deception. It's because God is giving you truth, but you've been deceived. You, you, are, you are falling prey to being a, an ambassador of deception. Of deception. Listen to what uh, the Bible says in John chapter 15. Jesus says, when we abide in him, he says, every branch that in me does not bear fruit is taken away. But what about every good branch? What about every branch that does bear fruit? Well, he prunes it. He prunes it that it may bear more fruit. In other words, when you're being pruned, is that going to feel enjoyable? Is that going to feel like something you want? Of course not. But God's point is to make us bear more fruit. It's for our good. And oftentimes it's in the pruning that we're saying this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. But that's because we're saying it's bad. But we're not the, the, the judge. We're not the ones who determine good and bad. God does. So we have to let God be the determiner. We have to ask the question, am, am I going to, when, when I'm struggling, When you're struggling, we ask the question, well, am I going to fix my life? 
Or am I going to allow Jesus to give me new life? What are you going to do? Some of you are just in this cycle of where you feel just so defeated, so defeated, so defeated. Now, it may be that you're a slave to sin. It may be that you're, you've never been redeemed. It may be that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. So, so the, the, you can't say that greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. You are a slave to sin. And you, have no, you, you can't win against the power of Satan. But it may be that you're a child of God. It may be that you, you have all that you need inside of you. You have received the Holy Spirit in everything that relates to life and godliness. You have it all. And what you need is to walk in truth. You need to abide in the reality that when you're saying this is bad, this is bad, maybe God's pruning you. Stop writing the narrative and let God write it. Then John goes on in John chapter 15. Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you unless you abide in me. In other words, look, you can't, you can't do it. The only way you can bear fruit is in Him. You can't do it on your own. You can't fix it. Self-reliance is your worst enemy in this situation. Weakness is your friend. Embrace your weakness. Embrace your need. Call out to God for wisdom, and He'll grant it. Because He loves you. He's not toying with you. It's so worth it. No matter how hard it may seem, it's so worth it. Because of eternity. Because of eternity. Because of eternity. See, look at verse 18. Of His own will, the Bible says, He, he brought us forth by His word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. You see that? You see the answer for deception? You see the antidote right there? The solution, listen, the solution for temptation is found in relationship with Jesus and right response to His Word. You say, Pastor Tony, that sounds too simple. Well, it's not. Victory over temptation is found in relationship with Jesus and right response to His Word. Deception is what's going to lead you down the wrong path. See, the key to responding to trials rightly, the key to being what James is, wants us to be, what we want to be, listen, in this uncertain time where it'd be so easy for our hearts to be tempted into fear and trepidation and worry and all sorts of crazy things, fearing that we're going to get sick or fearing that we, we will die or that we won't be able to manage or take care of or that we're not going to have the resources to buy the things we need or all these are temptations. Now listen, we respond to all that by we resist temptation. How? It's all in our reaction to God's word. It all hinges on what is the truth? Does the coronavirus trump the sovereignty of God? Does the, does the state of the economy rise over 
have authority over the sovereignty of God? And if the answer to that is no, God is good and God is sovereign, no matter what is going on in the world around me, then you can rightly navigate. You can rightly respond. You can rightly walk through. You can receive the blessing and the joy that is there for the having of the child of God in the midst of temptation, in the midst of struggle. Okay, so if we're going to be resilient disciples, we're going to accept God's word, act on it, and abide by it. Accept, act, and abide. And why would we do this? Because we have a king. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accept what he says because he's my king. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act on it because he's a good king. I'm going to abide in it because I've learned over time that when my life is right, when I have the peace of God reigning over me, it's when I'm abiding in the words of my king because my king reigns over a kingdom of grace. And when I'm tempted, it's not because I've sinned. When I'm tempted, it's not because I've, I've, I'm in a place of, uh, that I shouldn't be. When I'm tempted, it's because that's just part of it. It's an opportunity. But I'm not going to self-condemn. I'm not going to think, well, it's because my father's displeased with me. It's because my father's punishing me. No, it's, it's not because my king is angry with me. No. Our story is a story of grace. I just want you to know you out there this morning and you're just getting your teeth kicked in constantly. And every time you're tempted, you, you're just devastated. You serve a king who rules a kingdom of grace. Of grace. He loves you. He, these are opportunities for you to walk toward him. Not to be crushed by these situations. The mantra of our lives in this kingdom is not try harder, do your best, and maybe, just maybe you'll be good enough to receive the favor of the king. That's not our, that's not our story. That's the story that maybe we write with the pen. But if we put the pen down and let God write the story, it's a different story. It's a story that says God did what we couldn't do. God did what we couldn't deserve, didn't deserve. God did what we didn't even know that we needed him to do, but he did it anyway on our behalf. And our story is that we were saved by the working power and the sacrifice of the most valuable, precious thing our king had. His son. His son. And so we live in a kingdom of grace. What is waiting for us is an eternity in a kingdom of grace where everything that's wrong is made right for all of eternity, where we dwell with him, where he is our God and we are his people. And there's no more tears and no more suffering. So I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him at his word. Above my circumstances, I'm not going to see things with a human view. 
but I'm going to see things with a God view. And I'm going to trust him above my circumstances, above my ideas and above my expectations. Because when I am tempted not to, when I'm tempted not to trust God, when I'm tempted to walk in deceit, when I'm tempted to believe things that aren't true, this is what I'm going to remind myself of. This week, I want you to write this next statement down somewhere and I want you to, when you feel yourself under the weight of a trial or a temptation, I want you to remind yourself our story is grace. Grace built a bridge from heaven to earth. Grace did that. Grace and love motivated God to do what He did. We are who we are in Him because of His grace. When you're tempted, it's an opportunity. You have a father who loves you, who's secured for you an eternity. So this morning, the question is, do, do I know him as my Lord and Savior? Have I received new life? And if the answer to that is no, then, then I need to make that right today, right now. Wherever you are right now, you need to get down on your knees and you need to say, God, God, I need you to save me. I am a sinner. I can't do this on my own. Apart from you, I can do nothing. I've tried and it doesn't work. My way is not the way. And so I know I don't deserve you. And I know there's a, a million things I don't understand. But God, I need you to save me. Will you save me? Will you be my Lord? Will you forgive my sin? Will you give me new life and be my father? And he'll save you. And if you do know Jesus as Lord, if you have received new life, then understand. If you walk in truth and not deception, you will bear fruit. Because that's God's plan and purpose for you. He's sanctifying you to bear fruit, to make you who you were made to be. To move you away from yourself and toward Him. And it's going to feel, it's going to be pruning. It's going to feel bad. But that's because we're saying that it's bad. But to God, it's good. It's good. It's good. And we're going to abide in Him. And He's going to prune us that we might bear more fruit and more fruit and more fruit. And so our story is not a story of condemnation. It's not a story of failure. It's a story of grace that built a bridge and came to us, met us where we were, and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. What a blessing. Gosh, I love you. I want you to flourish today, flourish tomorrow, flourish this week. I'm looking forward to our time together Wednesday night in the book of Job. Use the time that you have. Let's, let's dive into God's word. Let's 
fill our minds with what's true. Let's renew our minds for his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this encouraging word that we need so desperately. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who who are just struggling in temptation and they keep falling and falling and falling, Lord. And God, show them that it's the traitor within that is deceiving them and to put down the pen and stop writing the story and to let you, you tell the truth about where this temptation leads or what this temptation means. And Lord, thank you for the victory that's been won on our behalf. Thank you for your unrelenting work in our lives to make us more like your son, Jesus. Thank you that church is not a building, but it's a people. And so though we are not in a building, we are every bit as much the church. And Lord, help us to engage the world around us for your glory as they grab and and grope for truth and struggle to find what they can believe and what they can trust. We have the answer and help us to be people of the gospel, people of the truth, that we'll walk in victory in the Lord Jesus and that your kingdom, your kingdom of grace will grow and be expanded for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you. Thank you for commenting and interacting with each other. God bless you.